Welcome to Faith and Freedom Fighters. I'm Robert Muse, co-founder and senior counsel of the American Freedom Law Center. And as usual, I'm joined by my fellow freedom fighter, co-founder and senior counsel, David Yurashami, who is on location in Sacramento, California, as he's preparing for yet another Ironman triathlon. I hope you, those of you who are watching our video cast, will notice my Let's Go Brandon hat, which was given to me by a friend. And if you don't know the backstory, of this, of the Let's Go Brandon chant, please do a quick search on the internet and you will see. This is a family-friendly program, so I won't repeat uh, <laughs> what, the, uh, what the message is behind the Let's Go Brandon chant. Uh, there's so much in the news, uh, so much going on, so many attacks on our liberty. Um, as David has said time again, and we repeated time again on this podcast, we are currently in a non-kinetic civil war. There's no question, no doubt. And in fact, right now, I'm hearing more and more people talking about the great divorce. Well, this administration has done so much to destroy our country in these past 10 months that it's, it makes my head spin. We have three more years of this nonsense uh, to go through. Uh, but make no mistake, he's, uh, he's getting quite a bit of help, like David, from your governor there in, uh, in California, who survived his recall, which tells you we have serious and perhaps irredeemable problems. Your governor, who recently outlawed gas lawnmowers, weed eaters, and virtually anything that runs on gas that you do not drive on the road, dirt bikes, ATVs, etc., it's going to kill so many small businesses. In New York, again, David, you're a former state. You need to you need to pick some different states to move to <laughs> between New York <laughs> and California. Not moving in the right direction. Yeah. So the 2021 New York Legal Award for the Attorney of the Year in New York went to, and here's the uh, drum roll, Alinda Goldstein. Well, here's part of the write-up for this award. Quote, Linda and her team exhibited extraordinary fortitude in tackling an extreme infringement on women's reproductive rights in Oklahoma in a lightning fast high stakes case. She partnered with the Center for Reproductive Rights to block the Oklahoma governor's effort to cut off access to abortion care in the state. The governor cited the pandemic as a reason to postpone elective surgeries and included nearly all abortion services in that category. Goldstein's team worked tirelessly to file suit in the Western District of Oklahoma to enjoin the order. The team was still adapting to a remote environment and navigating new ways of working, all at warp speed. The team put forward a solid argument that the state's justification did not support the infringement of women's constitutional rights, winning both a TRO and a preliminary injunction. This case is, is novel and that a court expressly acknowledged that while a state has broad police powers during a public health crisis like COVID-19, such powers are limited when they infringe upon the constitutional right of access to abortion, end quote. Oh my, abortion, right? The sacrament of the left. They worship child sacrifice and they'll do whatever it takes to keep it going. So the pandemic apparently is no barrier to the so-called made up right to abortion. Well, what about the real constitutional rights? Ones that are actually found in the constitution, such as freedom of speech, freedom to assemble, free exercise of religion, all have been thrown away during this current pandemic. And what about the so-called right to privacy? right, this right to choose that the, uh, that the Supreme Court created starting in 1965, culminating in the Roe v. Wade 
decision in 1973, right? You have this right to choose. It's my body, it's my choice. Except if you wanna reject unwanted medical treatment like an experimental vaccine, where's, you know, where's the outrage over this? Here, it, it's unbelievable. Abortion goes on unrestricted, but yet they're forcing us to take experimental drugs. They're, they're silencing us, denying us our right to assembly, denying us the right to free exercise of religion. Our judicial system is corrupt to its core. And this is just a, a perfect example of that. David, <laughs> welcome to this, uh, this podcast. And uh, we, I've got two more stories I'm gonna turn to quickly, but I'd like some of your comments on, uh, on my, uh, my introduction as it were. Well, your introduction, if we were to unpack it, would probably take a week of serious discussion and thought. Um, it's profoundly correct. And if you think about it in, in, in a kind of a higher altitude context, a more philosophic context, what do we see? We see that the government has taken the position that a woman's right to control her own body, the right to choose, as it were, to have an abortion or not, was predicated on a premise that the government decided arbitrarily when a unborn child in the fetus is a person for purposes of protecting his or her life. Notice I said his or her. It's not it, they, we, us, them. It's a his or her biologically. So the government takes this arbitrary decision and says, well, it's after the first trimester, the second trimester, or viability, or whatever the, the, the point in time is, it was simply an arbitrary decision by judges. Had no basis in law, no basis in medical science or fact, no basis in biology. And once having made that decision, then all of a sudden, the right to choose up until that point is not only unfettered, it's given the highest regard by these jurists uh, supposedly applying the constitution that says nothing about it. Yet when you and I go into court and we've been doing this before the pandemic, but especially in the pandemic, arguing about free speech, free exercise of religion, which are explicit rights in the constitution, it's simply thrown out the window and said, no pandemic, you know, the, the, the threat of loss of life is more important. But then you ask yourself, going back to the abortion decision, the government makes an arbitrary decision about when life begins. And then all of that life beginning, those fetuses that are aborted, that are murdered, they don't count anymore because of an arbitrary decision by a judge or a group of nine judges. It is absolutely incredible you, you you couldn't make it up if if someone were to tell you this is the way we're going to go in 1956 the year i was born or 1964 before the privacy right was conjured up you wouldn't have believed it and indeed when i was a young man you wouldn't have believed we'd gone this far and just to throw a little um add-on we we just praised with a a, a press release a woman whose name sounds Jewish, so she's one of uh, my tribe, Rachel Levine, sworn in as a four-star admiral in something that I didn't even know existed, the US Public Health Service Commissioned Corps. 
which actually has uniformed personnel and officers. And she just made four star admiral and she's an avowed transgender. She was a man, whatever her, his name is. And it's she's now, yeah, I think it's Richard or whatever. He's, he's yeah. So she Richard still is Levine, a man. She just uses a different name and dresses like a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, probably shot herself up with a bunch of hormones and what have you artificially. Um, and so now she can go, he can go compete against other women at, in her age group at the next Ironman in his age. Right. It's all confusing. Right? No, I, I doubt it. Yeah. He's I doubt a, it. As well, I, a, I've seen a, her. She's not compete. He's not competing in Ironman either as a man or a woman. Yeah. As I, I saw somebody made a comment about that when, uh, Levine was, uh, uh, selected to be in the Biden administration, the health department said, here, here you have this obese man who thinks he's a woman is going to lecture us on health issues. <laughs> you know, it's just, again, you can't make this stuff up, but yeah, she's the, she's the, uh, what is it? The assistant secretary of, of health. What's her position? Who knows? There's so many titles in Washington, DC. Who can keep track of them? You know, there's secretaries, undersecretaries, assistant to the undersecretary. It's just, just drive into Washington, DC and look at these giant administrative buildings with all these bureaucrats running around as uh, little petty tyrants. And you can kind of understand why things are as screwed up as they are. Um, But yeah, just Unbelievable. Hey, uh, two. I want to turn quickly to two more stories before we uh, we hit the highlight uh, for the week. It was a recent, uh, I think it was in Fox, uh, story about the uh, Ashley Babbitt shooting and internal police documents revealing, quote unquote, no good reason for the shooting. There was uh, more than 500 pages of internal documents from the D.C. Metro Police concerning the fatal shooting of Ashley Babbitt in the Capitol on January 6th reveal witness accounts stating that she was not holding a weapon at the time of her death. And it also made the point of how upset the DC police officer was who actually shot and killed her. So let's just do a thought experiment. Imagine that this protest was done by the Black Lives Matter rioters and a white police officer shot a black woman under the same circumstances. In this case, it was a black officer who shot Ashley Babbitt, who was a white woman. What do you think would have happened there? <laughs> How do you think the Pelosi Schumer race baiting cabal would have reacted to that? Certainly it's a rhetorical question because we all, we all know the answer. It's, this is unbelievable how nothing is being done about this, this shooting of this, uh, of Ashley Babbitt. And I, and I haven't seen anything yet, but I certainly hope that her parents or who, whoever's their, her next of kin files a civil rights lawsuit against the uh, DC Metro police and anybody else who was involved and that, uh, that ridiculous, uh, really, it was a criminal act, right? We saw with George Floyd, you had these police officers who were raked through the coals, pillared in the, uh, in the public square and spending time in jail. Same should happen to this, uh, this police officer who had no good reason to shoot and kill this, uh, this, this white unarmed woman. Well, and, it, and juxtapose that against the famous Missouri case of the McCloskeys, the husband and wife attorney couple that had... The, the Black Lives Matter protesters were coming and yelling and threatening and trespassing. Some were on the sidewalk, but many were trespassing and it was a private gated community anyway. And all they did was stand on their front doorstep with their weapons exposed. They didn't shoot them. They didn't actually point them as far as I can tell from the news clip media. And they were charged with a crime. And 
Um, the only thing that saved them was that the governor granted them some kind of pardon or, or uh, what have you from, from prosecution. But, um, or actually they, yeah, and then they actually pled guilty to some misdemeanor, if memory serves me correctly. But the fact is, is that um, all you have to do is juxtapose the two circumstances, one next to the other. You know, I'm at this hotel getting ready for the Ironman, as you pointed out. And so I never watched the TV. So I, but I had the news on and I, I flipped it just to see what um, the news media on the left was saying. So I flipped it to MSNBC and I don't recall which show it was, it was some leftist mouthpiece. And they were going on about the January 6th hearings and just how vital this is to save our democracy. And that Bannon, who's refusing to show up under subpoena should be um, dragged into court by the DOJ and, and um, uh, face contempt of Congress charges. And if you, when you listen to the, the narrative that they're feeding people about January 6th, and when you look at the actual, we, as we've done on this podcast, the actual prosecutions, you know, there's no charge of sedition. There's no charge of an insurrection. There's barely, barely any charges of violent crimes at all. It's all just about trespass and obstructing Congress because they had to shut Congress down. For what? A matter of minutes or a couple of hours? And this is an insurrection, but they're just milking it and milking it and milking it because the rest of the show was all about Trump and all the criminal prosecutions that are being lodged against him and investigations. You know, they, when, when people come to understand that the, the progressive side, the left, while they claim that the conservative side is well-organized and well-funded, the inverse of that is actually true. And we are going to have to understand that they're in this fight for keeps. They're not in it to tie. They're not in it to um, even get a surrender. They want to destroy what is the United States of America and the Constitution and the idea of a republic and turn it into a kind of um, major, majoritar majoritarian tyranny because they know they have the absolute numbers. And they do. Right now, if you combine the hard left, the, the middle left, the soft left, and the wavering middle that tends to go their direction because that's the way culture is going, they have the numbers. Maybe not by much, but with a majoritarian tyranny, they don't need much. Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to look at those uh, look at those numbers because if you look at things like ratings of TV shows, compare Fox to these left wing claptrap shows, and it's overwhelming the numbers uh, the numbers for the conservative. They they hold the levers of power. They hold the uh, you know the academic institutions, and I think they're just I think they're trying to dismantle this con this country um, because they want to kind of rebuild it into their own you know socialist Marxist uh, utopia. Um, where they're in control and they hold the power. And it's, it, this is going to be, this is a fight for our lives right now. There's, there's no doubt about it. This administration is destroying so many things. Let me just throw something in on that, on the numbers. I think it's true. 
and when you look at Fox News, how they just overwhelm. Okay, so that's and that's the only conservative program, and um, it's it's gotten better with people like Tucker Carlson and Warren Ingram has gotten better. Um, uh, they had kind of meandered a bit to the center, right? That was the the young Murdoch's approach, but it's true that conservatives will tune in to the media, the conservative media. It's true that they they try to they tune in to Rush Limbaugh's program, God rest his soul, because he was an articulate thinking man that taught them something. They will tune in. I think the the reason why the numbers on the left aren't there is because most of the progressive movement are young cultural minded types or middle-aged cultural minded. So they're busy watching, you know, whatever those programs are like, you know, MTV or idol or whatever those things are. <laughs> That's what they're watching. They're not tuning into the news. You know, they tuned into, into MSNBC during the Trump years because they got so exercised. And so the, the challenge the Democrats and the progressives have is getting the people out to vote because they're, they're mostly apathetic. So Obama inspired them to go out and vote. When COVID came along, they found an answer, right? Universal mail-in ballots, drop-off ballots, because that you can go out and aggregate and collect them from people who would never go vote because they don't care. They're busy, you know, doing whatever they do in the culture things that they're involved in. Conservatives, patriotic Americans would go to the polls and vote. And so Republicans had a fighting chance now, or conservatives, let's not call all Republicans conservative. Now in this current age, universal voting, universal mail-in voting and drop-off voting is a matter of course. They're not going to drop it. California's got it. Other states are going to keep it after COVID. Um, so even without the federal legislation they're now trying to pass to kind of institutionalize that at the federal level, the individual states are. So unless we can get control of state legislatures, nothing's going to change in that regard. The voting is going to continue to go democratic. Well, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens during these midterms. I think there's going to be a landslide, you know, people, people vote with their pocketbook. And there's one thing that's for, for sure is that these uh, these policies of this administration, which will trickle down, are are devastating to people. I mean, it's, have you checked out the price of the gas pump lately? It's it's more than double what it was than when Trump was in office. We were we were a, a, an exporter of of energy, and now we're turning around trying to find energy where we can where we can get it. You go to check out the prices in the supermarket lately, and even the big inflation hasn't even hit yet. We have supply chain problems. This, the, these guys, they, all they know how to do is destroy an economy. They can't, they can't uh, build an economy because their, their principles and their philosophy on a, on a fiscal side, even leaving aside the, 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 nuts, the nonsense that they engage in in the social side, uh, on the fiscal side, their, their, their policies and, and programs are, are, have failed. They failed through history and they'll continue to fail. And we're witnessing it right, uh, right now. So let me, I want to get to our last uh, quick story before I get, we get to really kind of one of the main stories we want to talk about, our recent lawsuit. So this last one is, and, and I'll be following up on this uh, more fully in, in later pro, uh, podcasts, the Supreme Court will be hearing arguments next month in another Second Amendment case. This is very important. The last cases were decided over a decade ago, the Heller and the McDonald case, one out of, 
Washington, D.C., the other one out of, uh, out of Illinois, uh, really dealing with the right to keep a firearm. Court held that it was a personal right. That was a very important uh, ruling. And now it, the court will decide what it means to bear a firearm. More specifically, at issue are concealed carry permitting schemes from leftist states like New York. Um, this, that's the prime issue before here, but before the court, but obviously it'll, the, a decision by the Supreme Court will affect all the states uh, that require a showing to some bureaucrat that you must have a quote unquote good reason to get a concealed carry permit. Now, many of these permitting schemes, whether you're being in California, New York, or others, these other left-wing um, you know, states, make it nearly impossible or exceedingly costly to get a concealed carry permit. Again, all left-wing Democrat, Democratic states. Not surprising, the people, and the studies have shown, the people who tend to get these permits from these states for good reason are wealthy white people the political elite, mostly the liberals. And who gets hurt by uh, hurt the most by these, by these Democrats? As always, the poor minority, right? The same class of people who are most hurt by these leftist policies and cries to defund the police, right? So here you have th these, these permitting schemes. You can't have it. If you're, if you're living in a, in a high crime neighborhood in some inner city in one of these leftist you know, states, you can't get a permit to defend yourself. You, have, you don't have access to it. It's almost impossible for you to get it. Meanwhile, the same people who are denying you a permit, a, a right to self-defense and to defend your family are the same ones are saying, oh, by the way, we're also not gonna fund police. So there's nobody, you know, nobody there to protect you against this violent crime going on in, the, in their cities. Meanwhile, you know, they have their security teams, their, uh, their concealed carry permits and everything else. It's unbelievable what's going on. I, I wish, I wish these, the, these minorities who continue to vote for Democrats would wake up and understand that these, these Democrats and these left-wing policies are destroying their communities. Please, please wake up, get educated, understand what's going on and how harmful the left-wing policies are to the minorities. I mean, that's one of the main reasons why Trump was, was doing a lot for the inner city and the minority communities. That's why they had to go out of their way to, to, to paint him with the, uh, the racist brush to scare people off from voting for him because they couldn't compete with what his, what his ideas were because they were working for the, uh, for the inner cities. They were working for the average American. They were working for large families like mine um, who got tax breaks, who had paid less at the gas pump and did you know, a host of other things. But this new you know, these laws with the concealed carry permits and the way violent crime is going through the roofs, through the roof under this, uh, you know, Democrat run regime. Uh, you have, you know, Merrick Garland and the FBI focused on parents and, and uh, you know, private citizens speaking of school boards, which will be our next, the next uh, topic of discussion, focusing on them rather than, you know, all this other uh, violent crime that's occurring across the border, interstate and elsewhere. And uh, so this, these, this will be an important hearing and arguments and decision by uh, the Supreme Court. I think the argument is November 3rd. I know it's, uh, I know it's next, uh, next month. So that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, well, let's jump into the next topic because I think uh, that pretty much sums it up on that issue. All right, well, in our, in our very last podcast, uh, we touched upon uh, this issue, the most recent attack by the Department of Justice on civil liberties. More specifically, uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland's use of federal law enforcement resources to go after parents who publicly object to 
left-wing progressive curricula and policies being forced on students, their children in public schools, critical race theory, transgender policies, pornographic sex education, parents are rightfully outraged uh, by that. And we said during our discussion on the last pod podcast that uh, our discussion wouldn't be the last that he, the attorney general, heard from us. And it wasn't because we sued him uh, this past Tuesday, October 19th, on behalf of a unincorporated association of parents, the Celine Parents. Uh, CelineParents.org is, is where they share all their information. Uh, Raylan Davis, who is a, a parent in Celine, Michigan, who's in the forefront of fighting these, these, uh, uh, these harmful and immoral policies in the public school systems in Celine, Michigan. G. Van Fleet, Joseph Kerry Mobley, Michael Rivera, and Chantel Cooper, who are all parents of uh, students who either attended or are currently attending the public schools in Loudoun County, Virginia, which has kind of been the epicenter of this, uh, of this battle for you know, critical race theory and transgender policies and, and so forth. And so they've all stood up. They've all uh, are willing to you know, put their name on a complaint to sue the attorney general challenging this uh, policy, which he announced in, uh, on October 4th, that he's going to marshal federal law enforcement resources, really to, to censor and stifle speech. That's what this is all about. Make no mistake. This was a loud shot across the bow uh, for any parent or private citizen who dares to speak out publicly at, uh, at school board meetings. And it just so happens that Merrick Garland is actually up, in, up on uh, the Capitol today um, testifying about this issue and, and, and others as well. So I'm, I'm going to be curious to see uh, what he is, uh, what he's saying about that. I'm sure he's going to be backtracking and everything else, but uh, it was plain and clear to anyone with, uh, with, with eyes open as to what the attorney general is, uh, is attempting to do here and what, and we're, we're trying to stop him, right? We're doing our part as we can to try to stop this tyrannical assault on civil liberties. The attorney general has weaponized his office. We saw that with Eric Holder. And it's happening again here in spades, and it has to stop. And uh, so we filed a federal civil rights lawsuit in the U.S. District Court for the uh, District of Columbia, trying to halt this attack on the right to freedom of speech. David. You know, this is going to end up being one of the more important lawsuits um, of this year and next year, likely. You never know what's going to happen next year, but certainly... Um, of this year. I, I would have said in our history, but we've had so many important cases on free speech, free exercise, um, that it's hard to say this case, but this is going to rank right up there. Now, you know, people have to understand because we've gotten comments. We actually had some woman, I think from Maryland, leave us a long message, um, you know, attacking us for filing this lawsuit, claiming that you know, if you're having all this, these threats and violence directed towards school board members and the local and state officials don't do anything, of course you have to call in the FBI and the federal government. Um, but let's break that down a bit because many people are going to have this question. First of all, the entire episode came about because this association called the National School Board Association sent a letter to the Biden administration, to President Biden directly, claiming that school board members are under this 
assault by these radical right-wing Trumpian parents. And what they do is they list some 20 odd newspaper articles about various incidences where school board meetings and, and threats and so forth uh, got involved. Well, the vast majority, and we, we're now analyzing each case. Uh, so maybe the next podcast will talk about that. But the vast majority are simply parents standing up and causing a scene at school board meetings, verbally. And even if they're going over their time limit or, or getting rowdy in their voice um, and using hyperbolic language like, we're going to stop this at any cost. These are our children. You can't, you can't do this to our children. We'll, we'll fight you every step of the way. That's protected speech because it's not a threat. And everyone understands it to be hyperbolic speech. Um, and it's not incitement. So it doesn't fall under the categories that fall outside of the protection of the First Amendment. There are cases that they've listed in there of the 20 some odd cases, people going after pharmacists, which have nothing to do with this. Uh, there might be a case or two where there was someone, something thrown at school board members or what have you, but those are isolated incidences and those occur and they violate state law. So if someone actually commits a crime, throws an egg at somebody or trespasses on their property and, and spray paint something on their house, which I don't know has occurred. Um, I'm just making that up. If that in fact has occurred, then local law enforcement handle that as a trespass, as an assault, whatever it may be. The federal government doesn't have the authority to step in and impose the, the power of the FBI and the US prosecution through the Department of Justice, the US attorney's offices to come in and frighten people so that they won't be stand up and criticize school board members. Now, if you wanna know whether that chilling effect is what we call it, is actually taking place, first of all, we applaud our clients because it takes a lot of bravery and courage to stand up and put your name out in the public domain and say enough is enough of this threatening conduct by the Biden administration, by Attorney General Garland. First of all, these people were doxxed. The, the hard left finds out where they live and they publish their addresses, they're, they're threatened, they're attacked. Um, the reality is we know, we've seen it before with the IRS and nonprofits. You put yourself out there and you can be subject to all sorts of behavior. It's not going to happen in this case for our clients because American Freedom Law Center is going to stand and represent them and fight any kind of retaliation. Um, and we do it pro bono. We do it not at our client's expense, but at our expense. And that's the reason they're prepared to stand up and fight this battle because there is an American Freedom Law Center. But the idea that, that the FBI or the DOJ should get involved violates several principles. One, it violates the constitution at the first level. They don't even have authority. And at the second level, what they're accusing parents of doing is protected by the First Amendment. And if it's not protected speech, if it's violent behavior, as I said, then there's plenty of state laws and local laws that can be enforced to stop it. 
and it's rare if it's happening at all. And I dare say, no one's pointed to any parent who's been vociferous at these school board meetings to have committed any crime, as far as I can tell. And certainly no one's been charged. So this is a free speech issue, and it's important because once the government knows that it can intimidate us and parents will be frightened to stand up and put their name out there and, and fight on behalf of their children, once that goes, once free speech goes, once you can't petition and argue against your government in the public domain, freedom and liberty is gone. Period, end of discussion. And if you wanna know how that happens, go talk to any person in China or our client, Xi Van Fleet, who came from China and understood the cultural revolution. Or go talk to any of the journalists, the dissident journalists in Russia, because usually they're either dead or they've been poisoned with radioactive material. This is what you get when you eliminate free speech. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Ms. Van Fleet. Uh, she has a very interesting story. She grew up in Mao's China and the, the whole revolution, and she was a, a school uh, a student. Uh, and parents, they were outraged as, as to how they were indoctrinating the children in those schools, right, to support the revolution that was continuing to grow and build. And they prevented parents from speaking out and having any say in, in what was happening with their children. And that's why she's standing up. She's like, I, I saw this play out in China and it's happening here in the United States. She's shocked as somebody who's immigrated to the United States, the land of the free. And so she's willing to put her name on this complaint and, uh, and go forward. You know, mentioned about the, um, you know, and, it, and it's play, we all know what the purpose and effect of this, of this, uh, this attorney general policy that he's, he's made very public it's to stifle opposition to these left-wing policies, whether it be critical race theory, which two of our clients, by the way, are African-Americans who absolutely object to, whether you want to call it critical race theory or diversity, equity, inequality, they have all these other you know, names for it because they want to distance it from, from critical race theory because it's become sort of a, a lightning rod appropriately so, but it's the same thing. You're teaching these kids to be racist. You're teaching these kids this false notion that America is systemically racist. And two of the clients who are African-Americans don't want their children to be, to be indoctrinated this way. They believe like we believe, like Martin Luther King said, you know, don't judge a person uh, by the color of their skin, judge them by the content of their character. Well, these programs that these school curricula are indoctrinating their children with create division, right? They, they are training kids to become racist uh, and through the critical race theory, again, whatever you want to call it in the, in the public school system, it's the, same, it's the same ideology, right? That America is somehow systemic racism, racist and everything has to be viewed through this lens of racism. The other is the transgender policy, right? We know from Loudoun County, it's hit the news, this breaking uh, story of this, this dad who was, quite frankly, very upset and outraged. And, and quite frankly, he, 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 to me, he showed a lot, quite a bit of composure when he went to that school board meeting on June 22nd to complain about the fact that his daughter was assaulted in a bathroom by a transgender student, a male who was proclaiming to be a female. And they, they kept it under wraps. Uh, the, the school board did. And he was outraged by all this. And, and quite frankly, they probably kept that on the wraps because it was undermined their transgender policy they're trying to force 
on the uh, on the parents. And in Michigan, you can look at our complaint. My goodness, this they have this sex education program which they're looking to to implement. Now they're saying it's it's only for special needs students, 100 and some odd students. Special needs students. This thing is a pornographic sex education program, right? And parents should be outraged by that. And they rightfully have the, uh, not only under the first amendment, but also their, their right to direct the education and upbringing of their children to go to these school board meetings to, you know, to seek redress of their grievances, which is another right protected under the first amendment uh, about all these, these inane policies. And here you have the attorney general that's trying to shut that down. There's no doubt that's what he's trying to do. And David, you mentioned about this, which this, this memo was based off this letter from the National School Board Association. Here's some of the, you know, the, the quote unquote threats. And oh, by the way, it's not just a threat. It has to be a true threat. And there's, there's a specific definition for that. It's a very narrow under the uh, First Amendment. They said in a meeting in Michigan, and this is a direct quote from this letter that the attorney general relied on for, for issuing his policy. An individual yelled a Nazi salute in protest to masking requirements, right? We all know what happened there. He's calling these board members a bunch of Nazis because they are forcing the kids to wear, to wear masks. You know, they refer to everybody's this, you know, extreme right organizations. They have uh, one, uh, one of the examples is, is a parent calling the school board members filthy traitors and labeling the school board as Marxist. Oh, these are, these are the, you know, the harassment, the intimidation, the threats, that now require the, the federal government, the attorney general, to marshal his resources to go after. What about all these Black Lives Matter protesters and Antifa protesters, right? We watched all summer long and continue to watch as they riot and loot. And I know, you know from a, a former client and good friend who's a, who's a, a high level police officer in, in Oklahoma, that when they had the riots going on there, the agitators were coming in from out of state. These were organized agit agitators. They were armed. They're disrupting inter really interstate commerce, businesses, using traveling interstate. If there's a national threat to safety and security, it's being perpetrated by these Black Lives Matter protesters and, and Antifa. Where's the memorandum for, which is what these things are called. This is memorandum for the FBI and so forth. Where's the memorandum there, uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland, on these organizations, which are actually engaging in criminal activity. Where is it? It's not there. Why? Because he supports their political views. This is, this is Orwellian. This is Big Brother. This is the government, especially the Attorney General's office, weaponizing their office to go after political opponents, politically, political dissidents, political speech, and political viewpoints with which they disagree. This does not happen in a free state. It happens in China. And that's the direction that this administration is taking us. You know, if you, if you look at what's happening now, this is the consequence of what the progressives and the liberals who don't consider themselves hardcore progressives, but just the liberals who occupy the deep state positions, the inside the beltway bureaucracy and, and technocracy, all the individuals who run this massive behemoth of a government that we've allowed to have been created since the New Deal era. Um, the fact is, is that they were able to politicize the Department of Justice even under the Trump administration. 
and they got the special prosecutor, you know, Robert Mueller appointed, who just ran amok and, and prosecuted individuals for no, you know, had nothing to do with his mandate, um, get them on a misstatement or a, a memory lapse as a felony, which comes back to the point and the FBI getting involved in this case. As a general matter, if I have a client and the FBI wants to interview him or her, the advice I would give is you don't say a thing. You don't give a name, you don't give an address, you don't talk about the weather, you just call your lawyer. Because what they do is they take down their little, what are they called, 302 uh, interview notes uh, or whatever? Someone, yes, yes they write an interview. And then if later they find that there's a discrepancy between what the FBI agent wrote down and what you what comes out later, they'll charge you with a felony. And the default is to believe the FBI agent. Why? Because they claim these are contemporaneous notes. They're not a recording. They're just contemporaneous notes, which have a fairly high level of credibility in the evidentiary world. And they can be totally wrong and made up. You don't know. But yeah, they typically don't allow recording of the uh, of the interviews. Right. So the bottom line is that what we saw in the Trump administration, the ability to politicize the Department of Justice under Eric Holder and um, uh, the follow on to Eric Holder, but it was really Eric Holder's doing with Obama. Um, that set the stage for what we see now, because now it's easy. You know, you got Garland confirm because they have the numbers and they're going to do whatever they want to do. And the reason they can get away with it is because they know the courts, the judicial system is corrupt. It's ideological. It's not based upon the facts and the law. It's ideologically driven. And um, you don't have to have a PhD in um, public policy or criminal justice or civil servant administration to understand that. All you have to do is, is pull out the cases, look at the judges, look at who appointed them, and you'll develop a core, a direct, almost one-to-one -one correlation. So, um, you know, this is, this is not something that's going to go away, and people have to get engaged, and our clients are engaged, and, and, and we're engaged. Right, and people need to show up at school board meetings, right? It's not don't just rely on a, on a judge or a set of judges to be the ones that are going to going to all of a sudden change this, uh, this attack on our, on our freedoms and our culture. It's going to take people going to the school board meeting still. Um, hopefully you won't be fearful of, of doing that. And, and our lawsuit will provide some, uh, some cover uh, for that, um, which by the way, we just found out our, our, the case was assigned to a, uh, a, a judge that was recently appointed by president Trump. Um, which is <laughs> when you think of what the, the chances were of getting a Trump appointed judge uh, by filing in, in federal court in Washington, D.C., uh, was pretty, pretty minimal. And people have asked a couple of several questions that come up just procedurally wise. So we, we filed the lawsuit on the on the 19th. Um, we uh, we've got a, we're working on getting it served. Um, that's the, the next uh, the next step. Um, we have, you know, we have the clients that we do have and all of them have standing. I know people said, oh, can we join your lawsuit? Can you join your lawsuit? There's really no need to add additional plaintiffs. 
um, we have the plaintiffs that we uh, that we need, and I appreciate all those people who've reached out and said they want to join in. Uh, this lawsuit is is going to seek what's called declaratory and injunctive relief, right? A declaration that these actions are unlawful and an order in joining it. It's not a case about money damages. It's a case about the right to freedom of speech. Um, one of the other um, questions that came up is, you know, why why file in Washington, D.C.? Well, we just so happen to get a, you know, a Trump appointed judge. But the reason why we, we sued in Washington, D.C. principally is because that's where the attorney, the office of the attorney general is. Right. And you've those who who you know watch the news and so forth. There's always this issue about, you know, can a can a federal judge in, you know, in uh, in Arkansas issue an injunction that's nationwide that enjoins, you know, a law in every jurisdiction, right? This, those, because that federal judge's jurisdiction is just right there in Arkansas. Well, the attorney general's office is right there in Washington D.C. And if we get an order from a federal judge in Washington D.C. D.C. enjoining this action, enjoining the the uh, the attorney general right there in Washington D.C., there's no other place to go. Right. We've essentially uh, we get an, a, effectively a national injunction. So uh, we chose that venue, um, one, because that's where the defendant is located. So we have we have venue there. But also for that uh, principal reason is we want to get an order that will stop this from happening uh, in its tracks. Um, and it will be uh, it will be stopping it and, uh, at the national level. Right. In other words, you, using the metaphor, you go for the head of the snake. <laughs> right, you, you file in India in, in Loudoun County, or you in Michigan, and I mean, excuse me, in the District of Virginia that covers Virginia, or you file in in a district court that covers Michigan. You might get an injunction just against the U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI there, uh, as opposed to a national uh, injunction. So, well, you know, we've uh, we're pretty much at the end of, of this uh, this hour. This case has been getting a lot of uh, a lot of media attention. Um, some good, some bad. <laughs> it's just the way the way it uh, the way it goes. Uh, and it, you know, it it is what it is, right? Where the media is is just as bad. They're part of this problem as as much as anybody else on the left. So, you know, what they write about us, I could I could care less. Just spell my name right. <laughs> as the famous famous line goes well so that's that's all the time we have today uh as always we look forward to our next discussion we thank you all for joining us um as you know our video casts are posted on our rumble and youtube channels and our podcasts are posted on spotify and stitcher and probably wherever else you could get a uh, you could get a podcast if you like the content uh please follow us and uh please spread the word as a, uh, as a nonprofit public interest law firm, which is recognized by the IRS as a 501c3 organization, we do all the legal work like this lawsuit against, uh, against the attorney general. We do it pro bono for the good. That is, we don't charge for our legal services. We rely upon generous donations from people like you. So if you'd like to support our work, you can do so safely on our website at AmericanFreedomLawCenter.org, AmericanFreedomLawCenter.org. All donations are tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Thank you again, and may God bless you, and may he continue to bless America. Amen.